Hi, good morning. Hi, we are going to do something a little bit different today. We've never actually done this before here, um, but Topher and I are going to be co-teaching this message. Doesn't it look like we have our own morning show? <laughs> Wake up, Richmond! <laughs> um, actually, if you reach under your seats, there's a... No, I'm kidding. Don't reach under your seats. It's the bird. It's disgusting. Um, we totally recognize that this partnership today could be like super great and exciting. Or you might watch a train wreck. We don't know. So uh, either way, we're super glad that you're here. Yeah. Um, over the past few weeks, we've been working through this series called Instimacy and talking about what it means to have real, authentic, healthy relationships in a social media age. Now, we're not bashing social media. I actually think that Instagram and Facebook has connected people in a lot of really cool and interesting ways, but there are some pitfalls that we need to be sure to watch out for. Um, and the first week of the series, Chris made the statement, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And it's this idea that we are the average of the five people that we're the closest to and that we spend the most time with. Um, and he, we learned that a great way to focus on building healthy relationships is one, to listen, and two, initiate. In week two, we talked about making sure that we're aware of who is in our inner circle and the kind of influence that they have. Because the people that are closest to us have the most influence in our lives. And we need to be able to recognize that there are probably some people in our spheres that maybe aren't the best for us. Mm -hmm. And then last week, Topher talked through Philippians, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others more significant than yourselves. And he challenged us to live life without so many filters and also to live at the intersection of grace and truth. Today, we have a fun topic that I know everyone is super excited about, unfriending people. Ugh. Hashtag sarcasm. <laughs> Like, uh, this, is, this is a hard one. This is yeah. a hard one to, to talk about and to teach through. Yeah, and this is something that we want to make sure that you know as we walk into this, that maintaining healthy boundaries actually helps us grow closer to our friendships, to our friends, and to God. Um, it's this idea that it's kind of impossible to live the right life with bad friends. The hard truth is that there are some people in our lives that we probably need to unfollow or unfriend so that they don't have as much influence over us. Um, but it is a really tricky balance because we're also called to live as a light to the world. So we have to decide between choosing our friends wisely and being that light. And this is the, the part that we're going to lean into this morning, this tension. But first, I want to take a selfie. No, that's my phone. Oh, that is your phone. <laughs> Never mind, I'm not taking a selfie. I did that last week, though, and it was fun. Um, we recognize that social media is an interesting environment. Um, and so we thought we'd at least at the very beginning talk a little bit about how to unfriend or unfollow people on social media before we get to talking about IRL, which if you don't know what IRL means, it means in real life. In real life. Now you're hip. People still say hip, right? No. Nope? Okay. You could tell I turned 40 last week. Um, so we have a list of 10 Rachel and Topher-approved Topher reasons to unfollow people on social media. Okay. So number 10 is if you don't actually know them, if you don't recognize their face when they're scrolling through your feed, it's okay to unfriend that person. If they are actually your mom's friends, mm. yeah. hit the unfollow button. Hashtag, sorry, Helen. Um, number eight, if the vast majority of their posts are super political where all they're doing is negatively bashing the other side, you don't need that negativity in your life. You can unfollow. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right, listen, number seven, any post that includes the words, I bet I can't get one share, <laughs> type amen and you will be blessed. 
if you don't share this, it means please don't do that. And if you're if someone that's all they're doing, unfollow. I've done it before, but don't unfollow me. But unfollow. Um, all their posts are trying to sell you something. Sorry, I'm good on leggings. I have enough leggings. I don't need any more. I don't, but that's a different story. He definitely story. doesn't need them. They are clearly belligerent, racist, sexist, hateful, ignorant, and rude. Yes, we know that means that many of our uncles are no longer going to be on our social media feeds. <laughs> Number four, if their favorite band is Nickelback. Ooh. No. <laughs> yes, preach, okay. Uh, number three, they over hashtag, hashtag everything. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag still blessed. Hashtag nom nom nom. Hashtag the sun will come out tomorrow. Hashtag soft kitty, warm kitty, little ball of fur. Hashtag Starbucks is life. Hashtag unicorns are real. Hashtag Christmas is in 219 days. <laughs> hashtag I don't think you really understand what hashtags are. I do not. Number two. You only follow, started following them because you wanted to digitally stalk them. That's called a creeper. Mm, don't don't do be it. a creeper. <laughs> okay? And then the number one reason why it's okay to unfollow someone on social media is if every single one of their pictures, they have deck lips. Kind of like this. <laughs> this is actually the picture that Topher took from stage last week while he was preaching. I love this. Christmas card. <laughs> uh, my wife would not be okay with that. So honestly, it, we, real life is very different than social media. If someone is causing you angst in your life on social media, just unfollow them. Don't put yourself through that nonsense. But we want to lean in specifically to like, real life, real friendships, and what that looks like. So from the onset, we want to be, make sure that we're reminded of something. Jesus loves everyone the same, but he doesn't always treat everyone the same. And that's a pretty big delineation that we need to know. Yeah. A really great example of this is in John chapter 11. Um, Jesus goes to visit two of his friends, Mary and Martha. This is right after their brother Lazarus has died. They're actually kind of upset at Jesus at this point because they believe that if Jesus had come to visit him while he was still sick, that Jesus could have just healed him and everything would have been fine. But now their brother is dead. So they are pretty upset. And when they come to him, they actually say the same thing. But Jesus responds to them in very different ways. So we see um, Jesus approaches Martha, and Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And this is launches into a theological discussion that Jesus has with Martha about the bigger picture, what God is doing in the long run. Because nobody knows this, but God, Jesus is actually going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Um, but there, he's using this as an opportunity to teach them something. Um, and then later on, he comes to, to Mary, and now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So she says the same thing, but rather than coming at her with a theological discussion, Jesus just stands there and he cries with her. And he knows both of them well enough to know exactly what they needed in that moment. When you read uh, the Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, which can be found in the beginning of the New Testament, we see uh, the story of Jesus' life play out, and example after example after example of Jesus unconditionally loving people. But the way that he treats people is very different from each other. And it's not that he's treating people poorly, it's just different. It's based on the situation, it's based on the person. It's not that different than how we interact with our family and friends. Hopefully, I'm, I'm guessing, we love them, um, but how we interact with them and how we treat them is often dictated by the situation. It's dictated uh, by the history, or even maybe how you're feeling emotionally or mentally that day. And that's totally okay. That's okay. 
hear that. That is okay. That we treat people differently based on the situation. We still treat them with kindness and love and grace, but it's based off of what's going on. When you look at Jesus' uh, spheres of, of, of people that Chris talked about a few weeks ago, we see that Jesus clearly treats those who are uninterested in him differently than those that follow him. And he treats the 12 differently than those that follow him. And he treats his inner circle of, of James, John, and Peter differently than the 12. But throughout it all, he still unconditionally loves them. It's that love that took him to the cross and that shows us that sacrifice. Yeah, and this is a really important thing for us to remember as we continue to move forward with what we're gonna talk about today. Yeah, it's, it's important for a couple different reasons. One of which I think is um, we have to recognize that we're each unique. And I, I feel like in our charged political climate, the term unique has become derogatory. Um, and, and it really shouldn't be. We are different. We have different struggles. We might share some similarities, but how those similarities uh, or interests play out is oftentimes different. And I think we, we sometimes fall into this trap that we think uh, the way we treat people is a one-size-fits-all, um, that we treat everyone exactly the same, that if one of your friends is tempting you to sin or trying to lead you away from God's plan or is being hurtful to you or rude to you or thinking only of themselves, that we should treat them the exact same way that we treat those friends who are encouraging us to be our best, the best versions of ourselves or who are encouraging us to be closer to Christ. Look, if you unfollow or unfriend someone uh, for a while or maybe even for the rest of your life, please hear this. That doesn't change their value in God's eyes. They are still valuable. They are still deserving of love and grace. They're still deserving of respect. It just... It just means that we're recognizing that boundaries are important, that boundaries help us grow closer to God and to our friends. Yeah, another great example of Jesus seeing the individual is in Luke chapter 8. Um, Jesus is traveling from one place to another. He's surrounded by multitudes of people, but he calls out a single person. There's actually a woman that has been suffering from a medical condition for the past 12 years of her life. And this medical condition made her an outcast in her society where people wouldn't even want to be around her. And so she kind of sneaks up through this crowd and touches the hem of the ro his robe, believing that that is going to heal her. And the miraculous thing is that it actually does. And Jesus senses that this power goes out from him. Um, and the most amazing thing about this story to me is that he doesn't just let it happen and move on. He stops everything that's going on and tries to find her so that he can talk to her directly. It says in Luke 8, 47 through 48, um, and then the woman saw that she was not hidden. She came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had immediately been healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has, has made you well. Go in peace. And this is really important to notice that um, he doesn't just want her to be healed physically. He also wants her to be healed in the presence of her community so that she can be restored to it. Um, and this is what I pull from this scripture, that there will be people in your life that pass by in the periphery. That's okay. But some people God sets squarely in your sight to love, to heal, and to see. Even if that interaction is brief, it can be really powerful if we're intentional about it. So while there may be people that God puts directly in your path to get closer to, um, there may also be some others that we need to take a step back from. 
In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul warns the church that the kind of people who say, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die, that they're, they're dangerous group. This is basically the first century version of YOLO. Wait, wait, wait. You guys know what YOLO means? <laughs> yeah. Know. Okay, I'd say raise your hand, but I don't want you to be shamed if you don't know what YOLO means. <laughs> so, I just found out last year, so. <laughs> you all, it means you only live once, and it's this idea that we don't have to worry about the long-term consequences of our actions. So Paul continues, and he says um, that do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. So those friends that try to tempt you not to think about the long-term consequences of your actions, those are actually bad friends. Um, a good way to think about this might be the difference between a thermostat and a thermometer. People that are thermometers, when they enter into a room, they immediately adjust to what's going on. Um, so if you're an alcoholic, maybe you've been tempted to have an affair, all of these sins that creep into our lives, if, if those situations still put you right back in that place where you were when you were tempted, you need to remove yourself from those situations. However, by the grace of God, um, by God's power, we can all eventually become thermostats where we have the confidence and, and knowledge to know that like, I have the ability to change the temperature and tone of this room. Um, but if you're not there yet, that's okay. Um, in the meantime, we might need to take a stu few steps back. Yeah, we wanna be super clear about something. We're not advocating that you dump all of your non-Christian friends um, at all. We're not advocating that you dump your friends who you may have gotten into an argument about the finale of Game of Thrones or something. Like, we're not advocating that you're just randomly cutting people out of your life left and right because you don't want to deal with a difficult situation. What, we're, what we want to ask you to do is really to ask yourselves a question. Does this person strengthen my relationship with Christ or do they tear me away from it? Because we can have some Christian friends in our lives that we would hope would encourage us to be closer to Christ. But actually that doesn't happen. I can think of friends in my life in the past um, that they made me feel terrible about myself. They acted in a holier than thou way. They uh, made me feel really insignificant and unvalued. The way in which they led their lives under the name of Jesus, made me want nothing to do with Jesus. And on the flip side of that, I, I still have friends today that, are, are, that don't follow Jesus, don't believe in Jesus, but that constantly challenge me to grow in my faith. They ask me really hard questions sometimes, um, but it makes me dig deeper into my faith, and, but they're always encouraging with it too. One of my friends in particular, he's an atheist, and the conversations that we have are so hard, but also really just invigorating because he knows what my faith is and he doesn't belittle me for it and he encourages me for it. So we want you to understand like it's not always black and white. Like sometimes it's really gray and it's, it takes a little bit of nuance to, to find that. That's why we really want to rest in that question of, of do, do our friends, do these people, does this person strengthen my relationship with Christ or do they tear me away from it? Because the answer is not always as clear as you think it's going to be. There's a pretty well-known pastor named Craig Rochelle, and he zeroes in on this idea of, of what we allow our friends to do to us, or even what we do to our friends. He breaks it down into two kind of fairly strong statements. Um, the first one is, I will not allow my friends continually to tempt me to sin. And the second is, I will not let my friends distract me from God's plan. Um, so first we're gonna talk about that first tenet, that I will not let my friends continually tempt me to sin. 
Um, Proverbs is a really great book of wisdom in the Old Testament of the Bible that lays down some really good, straightforward advice. Um, Proverbs 12, 26 says, one who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. And then in Proverbs 22, starting in verse 24, um, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. And Proverbs is basically just saying here that it's human nature to be influenced by the people that are around us, whether they're a really strong personality or whether they have or do that more subtly. Um, we just need to watch out to make sure that we're not being too heavily influenced by them. Um, what this can look like in your life might be when you go out to a party or to a restaurant. These are the friends that might coerce you to drink more than what you're comfortable with. You know where your limit is and you get there and they continue to push you um, to drink more. It might be a ladies group that you meet together with, but every time that you get together, you all just end up bashing your husbands. Um, it might be your soccer buddies that when you guys go out for a drink or to watch a game, um, they're routinely objectifying women and that tempts you to look at women in a different way. Um, it could be a friend who is really hurt or angry and they tempt you to assume the worst about another person when you don't really have a healthy context for what their side of the story is. Um, or it might be that the, those friends or coworkers that encourage you to put your job above all of your other relationships, so your, your family life and your relationships with your friends, those suffer. Whatever this looks like in your life, these friends who constantly and consistently tempt you to sin are the friends that you need to take a step back from. They are not friends that should be influencing you and that you should be trusting as you make big decisions in your life. Um, so there are times when you just need to take a step back and say, hey, our relationship is not going to be as, as intimate as it was before. Sometimes, however, you might need to just run from a situation. Um, I'm going to tell a story. It gets a little bit PG-13, so if there are any little kids, just maybe take them into the lobby for the next couple of minutes. Um, but in Genesis 39, we see the story of Joseph. Um, Joseph is the guy with the Technicolor dream coat. You know a song? Huh? Go, 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 Joseph. Yeah. <laughs> <Something>. Okay. <laughs> so his brothers sell him into slavery. And at this point in his life, he is actually still a slave. He has worked his way up. He's a really trustworthy guy. So he's given more and more responsibilities. Until this point, he's actually working in the house of Potiphar. And Potiphar is a big muckety-muck under the pharaoh of Egypt, who you may have heard of. Um, so Potiphar's house was actually a prime example of a toxic work environment for Joseph because Potiphar's wife was super into Joseph and she kept approaching him to have sex with her. Um, he was a really honorable guy and he very clearly told her no, but she kept coming after him until we read in Genesis um, 39, 11. Uh, but one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment with her in hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, <clears throat> she called to the men of her household. Will you read the rest of this? Sure. I don't know where we're at. <laughs> household said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the houses. Girl, I got Thank your you. back. Thank you. Um, so Joseph earnestly did his best to avoid a awful situation, um, but she waits for everybody to be gone and then basically ju jumps him. 
Um, so this is a very real and brutal example that the Bible gives us of sexual violence and manipulation. Um, in our current climate, we might be tempted to believe that this is a story about believing survivors or not believing them, um, but this story is not really about the fact that Joseph is a man or, and that Potiphar's wife is a woman. Um, the, the moral of this story is the same, whether you're a male or female victim of sexual violence. Um, the most important thing for you to do when you feel in danger is to remove from your, yourself from that situation as quickly as possible. If you're ever in a situation where you are in danger, you are being abused, or you're psychologically manipulated, it is okay to run. You do not need to start with reconciliation in those instances. Um, Going back to the story, Joseph knew that he was risking his good standing, his relatively comfortable job, and even his life by denying a very powerful woman what she wanted. But he knew it was right, and he knew that he couldn't avoid her anymore, so he ran. Um, there may be times in your life where your friends put you in a hard spot, where it seems like you can't win. The most important thing is that you continue to honor God with your thoughts and your words and your deeds, um, even if it means that you have to experience some negative consequences. We need to be able to tell ourselves that uh, we will not let our friends continually tempt us to sin, but we also need to be able to say, I will not let my friends distract me from God's plan. And when we say God's plan, we are talking about the way in which we are commanded to live and the specifics that we know to be true from Scripture. In Matthew 16, we see an example of this. Jesus is telling his disciples what's to come. He's telling them, look, I am going to die, and I'm going to be... Uh, you know, beaten, and I'm, I'm going to die an innocent man, but I will rise again. And we pick this up in Matthew 16. It says, from the time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Here's the kicker with Peter. Um, if you go back maybe five or ten verses, Jesus is asking his disciples, who do you say that I am? And they're all saying various things, but it's Peter that identifies who Jesus really is, that he's the son of God, that he is Lord. So uh, I, man, Peter is my guy. If you've spent any time with me, like longer than ten minutes, you know that how I just put my foot in my mouth just on a regular basis, that's how I roll. Um, that is Peter. Peter and, I are, Peter and I are homies. And this is what Peter is doing. He's not, but he's not functioning out of this place of like, you know, anger or frustration. He's working out of his own humanness of being scared. Um, and Jesus isn't having it. Jesus is like, no, get behind me, Satan. Mm -mm, not today. Like, and he pushes back because that's who Jesus is. Jesus is able to recognize I can still love someone and still make sure that those boundaries are very clear and very strong. Uh, and that's one thing that I think it's really easy for us to forget that as we see this truth, that we need to understand that we can't allow people to influence our lives if it's contrary to God's word. Yeah, this reminds me of my senior year in college. A lot of my friends had actually graduated a year ahead of me, so I was looking for a new friend group to spend some time with. So my boyfriend at the time, I started hanging out with his friends, and they were very cool, a little bit wild. But like I me. felt, uh, Yeah, super cool. I'm so cool, guys. Uh, but they... Uh, I, 
felt cooler when I was hanging out with them. However, every conversation that we had was laced with sarcasm and negativity and how they were unhappy with how things were and just constantly this negativity that just started to seep into my own life. Um, and so I decided to make a change and spend more time with some people that I didn't really know very well, but I knew that they were being intentional about going downtown into the city of Knoxville. They were taking communion together, and then they were going out to build relationships with homeless people. Um, and that experience changed my senior year from something that was really shallow and like self-centered into something really beautiful and meaningful. And that's the thing, though. Um, the friends that we have in our lives, they they transform us. Sometimes it's intentional, um, but oftentimes it's by happenstance. It's simply because of proximity and time. As we've been collaborating on this message and kind of digging into different things, I was reminded of a really hard truth that I've learned in the, about the past five years. And it's that just because you have history with someone doesn't mean that they're a good friend. Let's say, pause and say that one more time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just because you have a shared history with someone doesn't mean they're a good friend. Yeah, that hurts so good. Um, you can write that down, take a picture of that. I think that's something that we all need to take into consideration. I think if we gave ourselves the opportunity, we could probably all identify people in our lives that we have been friends with for a long time. Maybe they're childhood friends or friends from high school or college or neighbors. Um, but if we give ourselves the permission to take a step back, um, we might find that they're actually a terrible friend or that we're a terrible friend. If your friend is continually tempting you to sin, doesn't respect you, hurts you regularly, focuses only on themselves, tries to distract you from God's plan, they're probably not a great friend, no matter how long you've known them or how much history you've shared. That's why the idea and implementation of boundaries is so very important. The Apostle Paul said, for the, law, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And he's quoting Jesus here. If you love your friends, you want them to have healthy boundaries. But if you don't have healthy boundaries, it's really hard to love them well. And you really can't love them well. Henry Cloud and John Townsend uh, wrote a fantastic book called Boundaries that I think should be recommended reading from the time you hit 18 and then you reread re it every five years. It's just, I can't recommend it enough. In it, they say the most basic word to understand in boundaries is the word no. It's the ability to say no to things that are not good for you, being able to say no to people who are not good to you, not because you don't want to do something or be around someone, but because you know you shouldn't, because you know it's not healthy for you too. What unhealthy boundaries and emotionally unhealthy relationships really come down to is this lie that a lot of us tell ourselves. The lie that says that we're not worth it, that we don't have value, that we're not worth someone's kindness and love and grace and truth and friendship. That we're not worth that, but that's not what Jesus tells us. Jesus tells us we have value and that we are worth it. And as such, our friendships really should reflect that fact. So let's take a look back at those concentric circles that Chris introduced a couple weeks ago. Um, in the outer circle, we have the multitude, um, people that we have a connection with but no real relationship. 
And then we have our acquaintances, usually about 100 people or so, that we run with from time to time. We have similar friends, but we wouldn't really share anything super personal with them. And then we have our close friends. This is usually around a dozen, but it might be more or less. Um, and those are the ones that you call on when you just need to talk, you want to catch up, um, when you need help. Um, that you just stay really closely connected to. And then lastly, you have your inner circle. These are the people that we go to in times, when times are really hard, and we talk to them through our deepest desires, our, our secrets. These are the people that have the most influence over our lives and shape who we are as a person. Um, these are the people that we also need to be the most careful about who we allow in that circle. Um, because they speak really intimately into our lives. So let's look back at the question that Topher asked one more time. Does this person strengthen my relationship with Christ or do they tear me away from it? And remember, this is not a question about whether or not a person is a Christian, but instead how they shape your worldview. If they are consistently pulling you away from your faith, they might need to be shifted into a more outward circle. It doesn't mean that you love them any less, but just that you don't allow them to have as much influence over you. This is what it means to have healthy boundaries. Um, so what does it look like, practically speaking, when we make the decision, like this person might need to be moved into a more outer circle, or I, might, I need to unfollow this person? Yeah, uh, the Bible actually gives us a lot of great things. We're going to uh, just briefly spend some time in Matthew 18 here in a second, but before we do, I just want to give a little bit of context. Matthew 18, Jesus is talking um, really about resolving issues between individuals in the church. Um, however, the interesting thing about this is that there are businesses that have taken Matthew 18 and have basically, and basically have made uh, a conflict resolution 101 out of these verses. So it doesn't really matter where you're at on your faith journey. This morning, this is really good kind of practical advice. I just want you guys to have the background information, though, real quick on this kind of three-stage process. Uh, Matthew 18, uh, starting at verse 15, it says, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So already, a lot of us have probably failed <laughs> at step one. Oftentimes what happens nowadays um, is we might have an issue where someone has hurt us in some way, shape, or form, or has sinned against us. And instead of having the conversation with them and them alone, we've gone to have that conversation with everyone else around us so that they will be on our side. Um, that does not help friendships. That does not help relationships at all. Uh, and so step one is just go have the conversation. Have, sit down and have the tough conversation. And he goes on, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. And what this is saying is that when you're vulnerable and someone else in their vulnerability is able to hear you and listen to you and respond in such a way, you, have, you end up having more intimacy. You end up having a closeness that you wouldn't have had before because you were able to work through things together. So step one, just go and talk to the person. Then he goes on to say, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So this is not a gossip circle. Again, think of these spheres that we've been talking about. You have your inner three and then your outer group that are all close friends. This, think of this much more in line of like an intervention. Odds are, if you have a friend that has been a terrible friend to you and has hurt you, some of those habits have probably happened to some of your other friends in the same circle. And it's being able to identify that and go, I need to have this conversation. I've already tried it on my own. It hasn't worked. And, he, and they weren't able to hear me. Will you come with me and also share so that he could understand or she could understand the weight of it? And then Jesus goes on to say, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. 
So let's park real quick. <laughs> Please do not bring your non-Christian friends or even friends that you just have a mild disagreement with to me or Rachel or Chris or TJ or some random priest or pastor and go, they suck as a human. You tell them that, okay? You tell them. <laughs> like, that's a terrible thing to do, okay? That is not what this is saying. This is saying if you've done step one, you've tried to have that conversation and they didn't listen. You had step two, you brought others who know them well also and they still didn't listen. Then you bring it to the wisdom of the church, meaning the leaders of the church to help you navigate this. And if they still don't listen, then, you, then you're done. You walk away. The reason that he mentions uh, specifically Gentiles and tax collectors is at this time, Jews didn't really associate with them. It's a very clear-cut path. You sit down and have the hard conversation. If they don't listen, you try again. If they don't listen, you try again. If they still don't listen and there's no change, you just walk away. You be done with it so you can move on. And I know that um, sometimes that's easier said than done. Um, and it gets difficult. But when it gets to that point where you're seriously considering cutting someone out of your life, please don't just ghost them. Um, don't just disappear because you don't want to deal with it. What do you call it? We call it holy ghosting. Yeah, don't holy ghost them either. <laughs> don't be that person. Um, we, we're called to live in that tension between grace and truth. So just sit down and have the hard conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, so you might be in a situation right now where you're thinking like, oh man, some of my friends kind of suck. I don't want to have no friends. What do I do? Um, so if you've had those hard conversations, you've pushed some people out of your, your inner circle, we want to give you some, some hope also. Um, so going back to Proverbs 18:24, it says that one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And this glimmer of hope is just that. Um, there are people out there that will encourage you and support you as you follow after Jesus. Um, maybe they're in this room right now and you just haven't had an opportunity to meet them yet. Um, but Area 10 is a great place to form some new relationships and bonds that have the potential to be really God-honoring and healthy. Um, let's be real, making friends as an adult is really hard. Um, that's why Area 10 tries to create all of these different environments like small groups and summer of fun where you can, you can dive in and meet some new people, develop relationships around a common thing that you have in, in common, and then you can start to rebuild your inner circle. As we close, we want to give you guys some homework, and I know all of us love homework. Some people do. You, I'm a yeah. nerd. Yeah. No shame. A little bit of shame. Uh, but we want to give you homework. We, we want to ask you to, to first just take some time to pray and to read Scripture and to, and to listen. Um, and then we want to ask you to make some lists. List one that uh, we want to ask you to do is really identify who your friends are, those people that encourage you to be the better version of yourself, that challenge you to draw closer to Christ. List two is a little tougher. List two is really thinking about your friends and not ranking them from best to worst. Please don't do that. That's terrible. Um, but identifying them as, as, are these really good friends? Are these people that are trying to pull me away from Christ? Are they trying to tempt me to sin? Are they trying to lead me away from God's plan? And if they are, we ask you to make a third list. Identify how they're doing that so that you can be specific. And then once that's done, we really want to challenge you to lean in and to have the conversation. We know it's hard and we know it can be challenging, 
But maintaining those healthy boundaries are so important. They're so important because they help us draw closer to our friends. They nurture our friendships, our good friendships, and they also nurture our relationship with God. As Brene Brown, who I'm a huge fan of, says, um, being clear is kind. Having the hard conversation with clarity so that there can be understanding is ultimately one of the kindest things you can do for someone and for yourself. It's a clear path to communicating boundaries, and when you have the conversations, and we truly, truly hope that you do, please remember that even in the difficult talk, it's still an opportunity to show love. Um, so we're going to close in prayer, and I just ask that each of us just listen to what God is, is trying to tell us in this moment, and that we would have the strength to, to follow through on what he's saying to us. So, dear God, thank you so much for the opportunity to look closely at our relationships and our friendships and to see clearly what is healthy for us and then what's tearing us down. We want our lives to glorify you. And we know that it's so much harder to do when we have friends that are leading us in another direction. Please give us the strength and the courage to have those difficult conversations. But let those conversations be a balance of truth and also of grace and of love. Uh, we thank you for speaking so personally into our everyday lives and that you want what is best for us because you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.